Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke. And we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. We are also now on Patreon, so if you feel like you would like to support the show, I would really appreciate any donations you could make to the podcast on our Patreon page, which is linked up in the show notes. This episode's guest is Nick Shaw from Renaissance Periodization. Nick is the founder and CEO of Renaissance Periodization, a training and diet services company for world-class athletes. Nick is also a competitive powerlifter and bodybuilder and has had the opportunity to work with numerous national-level physique athletes as well as world-class strength athletes. Nick holds a bachelor's from the University of Michigan in sports management and currently Nick resides in Charlotte, North Carolina, with his wife and two kids. On this episode, Nick and I discussed many topics, including Nick's background, why Nick decided to start RP, who are RP's main clientele, Nick shares with us some of the challenges of running and starting a business, Nick shares with us his biggest influences, Nick discusses the nutritional hierarchies that RP had developed for both body composition and health goals, and also discusses the why behind the differences between both hierarchies. Nick gives us his thoughts on female fat loss. Nick and I discuss muscle gaining rates, what is realistic. Nick and I discussed how many extra calories you really need to eat to gain weight. Nick talks about how important it is to make sure you have balance between work, training and family in the macro scheme. Nick tells us about the biggest lessons he has learned so far in his career. Nick gives us his top advice and resources. And finally, if Nick could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite? And why this was an outstanding episode with nick guys and i hope you really really enjoy it okay nick shaw it is an absolute pleasure and an absolute honor to have you come on to the all things strength wellness podcast nick just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are which i would imagine will not be too many people let's just fill us in the background well thanks for having me on uh first and foremost uh secondly i absolutely love the accent man i just we've been chatting for a few minutes off and i just can't stop laughing i love it um so yeah so real quick about me uh, my name is nick shaw i am co-founder of renaissance periodization uh, more commonly known as rp strength online uh, co-founded it with Dr. Mike Isretel, who's been on your podcast before. Absolutely. And so we've now been running RP for about five years. Uh, the first two years were not really a whole lot. Um, it probably wasn't until the last three or so years that we started to get a bit more uh, well-known. Mm. And, you know, my role, so everyone at RP is infinitely smarter than I am. So they do all the you know research, design all the products, all that great stuff. My job is more or less to run RP and make sure we, you know, get get seen and, and heard by as many people as possible. Uh, in a nutshell, so that's what I do. Um, I kind of I've dabbled in competing in powerlifting and bodybuilding. I won't really refer to myself as one because it would be uh, <laughs> it'd be. I guess putting down others that actually compete and stuff. So I haven't competed in a few years, but I have competed before. Um, I've kind of taken a, a little bit of a backseat to all that stuff, uh, just to focus more on RP and, and different things like that. But yeah, that's kind of the. I don't know if that was a short or a long intro, but uh, yeah, that's it. 
It's absolutely perfect, but well, don't worry. There's, there's plenty of questions and dialogue left to go, my man. Uh, so, just before I get into asking you about your influences, why did you want to start um, Renaissance Periodization? Well, first of all, why Renaissance? What's what, what, what's with the name? To be completely honest, just so uh, we could hear you say that word, Renaissance, I absolutely love that. Every time I do a podcast with people that are not from America, Mike and I get the biggest kick out of that. Um, yeah, so <laughs> really, really interesting. So, you know, Renaissance obviously is, you know, sort of like a rebirth or, a, you know, a new beginning. And when we started it, uh, Mike and I were in New York City at the time working as personal trainers and we saw a bunch of uh, more or less complete bullshit training methods and diet stuff in all the gyms we were in. And we just knew that uh, there kind of needed to be a, a rebirth of, you know, science and evidence based fitness, you know, diet training and all that. And that was really the the reason that we wanted to start it. And I mean, I'm sure you're aware, but you get people on sort of two sides of the spectrum here. You know, one kind of like the meatheads, one are the book nerds. Then there's a lot of clashing back and forth. And our goal was to bridge the gap between the two. And so that's why we have, you know, a bunch of PhD coaches that are also, you know, world-class athletes, you know, and or competitive. I mean, you know, we got a pro bodybuilder. We got a couple um, world champion jujitsu grapplers. We have a world, you know, strongman competitor, and, and they all have PhDs. Uh, actually, Jared, so the pro bodybuilder, he just won his first pro show, uh, and he's a natural pro. Uh, but he's very like you. He, he's in the process of getting his master's, and then he'll go on to get his PhD. So really, it was kind of to bridge that gap between, you know, the the two sides of their because if you have both, there's really no arguing with it. You know, if you have just one or the other, it's easy to kind of, you know, poke fun or, you know, say, oh, well, yeah, you may know the studies, but well, why don't you look the part? Or, you know, someone may say, well, you look the part, but you don't know anything. Well, what happens when you know both? And people can't really say shit, you know? When you have both, you're a fucking animal. That's what you are. Yeah, that's right, man. No, and, then, and that was really the whole idea of RP was just to combine the two and, you know, I think uh, our results and sort of the, the credentials of our coaches do all the talking for us. So who would be, just for more background listeners, who would be the general clientele RP would, would usually get? Is it mostly people from a, lift, from a lifting background or would you work with some general pop as well? Uh, really good question. So we definitely started with more of an athletic focus because, again, you know, we have some D1 strength coaches and you know, so Mike and James are both PhDs in sport physiology. So we definitely started off with, with a, a big emphasis on, you know, performance nutrition and working with athletes. You know, we worked with a ton of power lifters, you know, world record holders. We worked with, you know, Olympic weightlifters, so American record holders, folks competing on the international scene, all that. We're actually the official dietitians of USA Weightlifting, which I think is really cool. That's uh, something that we had this last year, and we'll go all the way through the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So we're really proud of that. I mean, pretty much any big-name weightlifter uh, here in the U.S., you know, we work with them, which is obviously really cool. Had, um, you know, Morgan King went to the Olympics 2016 in Rio. Uh, I think she took sixth in her weight weight class, which is really cool. Um, Another guy actually won a gold medal that we worked with. So he was actually a reserve on one of the relay teams, now, he was replaced in the finals by you know, some guy named Michael Phelps, 
but uh, because he swam in one of the, the prelims, he got a gold medal, so it was really cool. His name's Tom Shields. Cool. Um, but, yeah, we did – yeah, yeah, really cool stuff, man. I mean, you win a gold medal. It's kind of like I can't really think of anything bigger than that. But, yeah, so we definitely started off more in the athletic space. And as we started to get more into weightlifting, you know, obviously weightlifting and CrossFit's really tied in together. So all the CrossFitters started to take notice that, like, hey, there's these weightlifters dropping a weight class and they're not losing any strength. Like, what the heck's going on? You know, we've never really seen this before because all they knew was paleo. And so they go, oh, well, I don't really want to do paleo. Let's see what this RP stuff's about. And then we really started to explode into the CrossFit scene in probably about 2015 or so. And, you know, ever since then, I mean, we have literally thousands upon thousands of, you know, uh, CrossFit clients. And the, and the great thing about CrossFit is it kind of bridged the gap between the athletic population because CrossFit has so many people that do it. You know, it's so popular now. And it has so many benefits behind it. You definitely have the more performance folks all the people competing at the regionals games things like that you know we work with the i think we had four of the top 20 female athletes at the 2017 crossfit games which is obviously really cool and you know because there's so many folks that do crossfit it's a good bridge to get into more general population stuff and in this last year we came out with a different set of diet templates that are designed just for you know normal folks that just want to lose weight and get healthier so did you say you worked with four of the top 20 female CrossFit competitors, did you? Uh, yes, off the top of my head real quick. Yes, wow, that's, it was. That's, that's fairly impressive. Yeah, totally, man. It was really cool. Uh, you know, I was in Madison, uh, you know, cheering them on. Um, uh, our, our highest placing female was, was Sarah Sigsman daughter, who's, you know, not too far from you over in Iceland. She took fourth, which is obviously really cool. She won the last event. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been or anything like that, but uh, it was a really cool scene being there in the you know arena there in Madison, Wisconsin. You know the the last it was just it was so close. The last event was so close, and yeah, between and all uh, that. between Cara Webb and, and Claire Tiatumi. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, that was obviously a really good finish, but you know, there's a couple people ahead of them too, and I mean, it was really you know, a battle to, to figure out, you know, who's going to come where and, and the point standing and all that. So, I mean, the crowd was just, you know, erupting. It, it was actually really, really cool to see. And, uh, you know, I, I had pretty good seats right there and was able to catch it all. So it, it was honestly, you know, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, I was watching it live, so I was, because, like, uh, I'd, yeah. be, I'd be big into the games and then myself. But, uh, like, the, 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 the men's one was over after, like, two days. Like, right, Frazier has this, but the female one was, like, right to the wire, so... I was keeping an eye on that, but uh, it's funny you yeah. mentioned it's funny you mentioned Sarah Sigmund's daughter because she's like Sarah Sigmund's daughter and probably Cara Webb are the two other girls I'd love to see win it. Now, actually, I I have a I would have like a a bias towards uh, Chanel Reed too because she uh, she um, trains with OPEX and I know Jason Sturrell really, really well and I actually got to meet Chanel Reed when I was over in Arizona, so I was like kind of hoping I was hoping, I, I was hoping she'd get the, into the top three like because I'd love to see her podium. But um, still, like her, her overall performance was amazing. Like given where she's come from, so they've done an absolutely fantastic job with her. But yeah, I'd love to see Sarah Sigmund's daughter definitely win our car web because I, I really like Sarah Sigmund's daughter. She's always like a real happy, positive person, and and totally, yeah, yeah and, and she's a workhorse. Like she's an absolute beast. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So she weighs about 150 pounds, and in training for the games, I mean, she was eating like at least 500 grams of carbs a day. <laughs> Which yeah. is pretty, you know, pretty, pretty wild to, to think of. I mean, you know, I weigh about 215, 220, and that's uh, definitely a lot more than I eat. So just shows, it just shows, man, just, just 
you know, how good of athletes they are and just how much work they do. It's just really insane, just the total workload and volume that they're able to, you know, put themselves through. So really, uh, it's, it's impossible not to, you know, respect the, the really top level CrossFitters because they're just, I mean, just absolute freaks. So just, just before I kind of move on to the influence question, uh, Nick, uh, so the fact that you're kind of a, you're an entrepreneur, uh, CAO, like, when you initially went to start this company with Mike, like, what was kind of going through your mind in terms of, well, there's Precision Nutrition out there, and there's one or two maybe other companies already doing this, what's going to set us apart? And then, a fo- a following on from that, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced, just purely from a business standpoint, and, and like, what have you kind of learned in this journey so far? Oh, man, there's so much, I guess, different things that we've learned it's it's tough to kind of start anywhere. It's just honestly learning different stuff every day. Um, yeah, you know, when we first kind of got into the scene, so again, we started in like 2012, mm. you know, there weren't really very many other, you know, big companies kind of doing nutrition coaching and all that. You know, there's definitely folks, like you said, Precision Nutrition um, and probably, you know, Lane Norton, you know, again, people that could combine, you know, high-level academics and, uh, you know, athletics. So obviously, Lane is a really good lifter, pro bodybuilder, you know, a really good power lifter. So, you know, there weren't a whole lot of people out there like him. I mean, now, you know, we have, whatever, 16 PhDs on staff. So, and, and I think, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um yeah, it's just, I think there's a really growing trend and, and maybe we've contributed to it a little bit, but, you know, like, I mean, like you were saying before we kind of officially went on the podcast today, you know, you're getting your master's and going to do your PhD. Like I see a lot of people nowadays in the fitness space that are going, you know, to get their master's and you know, maybe get an RD and, or, you know, get their PhD. Like that's really cool to see, man. Cause I think, you know, five years ago or so when we started, there weren't that many people out there like that. So I mean I think I think that's kind of cool to talk about in terms of, like influences and all that. Um, maybe just real quick to touch on challenges. You know, one of the first things we ran into when we started to get more and more popular was just you know learning how to scale and, and dealing with you know customer service stuff because at one point yeah you know, I was I was manually sending every single template that we sold in like 2015 and Ooh. you know answering all the emails and stuff myself. Yeah, obviously it was a lot smaller then. Like I, there's no way no way in hell I can do that now. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely one of the challenges and, you know, just kind of learning as you go, whether it's, you know, email marketing or social media or, you know, customer service stuff. You know, you just kind of see how other people might do it, get some tips and advice from them and or, you know, reach out to people that sort of specialize in this stuff. And, you know, whether it's bringing them on as a consultant or something like that, I mean, that was you know, a big help. And I actually had to recruit my wife uh, in 2015. So she's been working with RP now for two years officially. So she actually left a big time job um, in a law firm to come help RP full time. And, you know, a law firm job. Holy fuck. But it has, has Mike just recently left his teaching position too to fully focus on RP? Yeah, he definitely has. So, you know, obviously there's pros and cons that come with teaching and, you know, Mike's dad is actually a professor as well. I don't know if you knew that, but his dad's super, yeah, super, super smart guy. Uh, yeah, I met him. Um, he's one of my favorite people. And so, you know, Mike definitely was, you know, he really wanted to be a teacher. And I've actually got to set in on some of his classes. And as you can imagine, just from the way Mike interacts with people on social media, you know, he's 
I would say, you know, probably one of the best teachers you could ever envision, you know, very engaging, you know, friendly, but also, you know, smart as shit. I've and never he- met anyone smarter than Mike in my life. And hilarious. So, yeah, for sure, man. You know, all the students love him. He always gets really great reviews and all that. So, you know, he definitely loved teaching. There's just kind of so much administrative kind of BS that goes along with it. that yeah. it's and, and again, it's like, you know, you you're so bogged down with, you know, all the administrative stuff and, you know, why not just go into the, the private sector? And again, you have literally hours a day that you can devote to whether writing articles, creating new books, making new templates, uh, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it's always, it's been a big, big learning journey all along, you know, still learning as we go. So, I mean, that's kind of where things are. Yeah, but uh, just on the on like sixteen PhDs, that is absolutely incredible. But uh, the PhD, personally for myself, it's it's just because like like well, like, I absolutely fucking love teaching. I love sharing information. I love mm-hmm. re- I love research. I love coaching. I love to travel. And also, I'm just I, I really am your stereotypical smelly weird professor. So <laughs> it's it's got it. It's definitely for me, you know. But. Uh, Listen, uh, moving on then, Nick, going into influences, I love asking this question. So in terms of your biggest influences, not only on you professionally, but also personally, who have been some of the biggest influences in your in your life? Man, I tell you what, uh, it's, it's Mike. Um, you know, so I met Mike in college and undergrad, and, you know, we actually met in the gym, and he sort of convinced me to do my first powerlifting meet. And once I did that, I was hooked, and we started training together. And then he went to get his master's um, in a different state, but you know he helped you know coach me early on. So I had a pretty good start in terms of you know the the right kind of diet and training information. So really, kind of everything that I know in terms of diet and training is all you know come from Mike. And anytime I would have a question, you know, I would always be on the phone asking him picking his brain and you know sometimes if he said something that maybe i didn't think sounded right or i was a bit bit skeptical of well you know i was there to call you know call him out a little bit as well and you know make sure he he had you know good reasons to back up what he was saying and, and all that different stuff so yeah he yeah, does he, he does say some things that are definitely opinionated because there's one or two things he comes out somewhere like mike is that do you have any research or are you just making like a guess well, he'll be the first to tell you. Sometimes it's a guess. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a yeah, bit of, he will. He will, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, sometimes it's a guess based on some some stuff that he's personally doing and and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, luckily, you know, Mike's not there to kind of BS people and say, oh, you know, this this new thing is absolutely right. He'll say, yeah, you know, there's probably a good chance that uh, you know it will work, but it's a little untested right now, and you know, we we kind of wait and hold back, you know, making updates and things on, on RP products until it's it's a bit more proven and has more science and research behind it. And then when it does have that both, you know, and we can say, hey, you know, here's some cool results that we've tested, whether it's on ourselves or you know, maybe some close friends or family. And then, you know, the research starts to back back it up. Well, then we can go, all right, you know, it's probably time to, you know, come out with uh, some, some tweaks or, you know, something a little bit more new. Um, would, who, would you say there's anyone else that has influenced you greatly, professionally or personally, aside from Mike? Um, you know, probably another good one is, uh, is Chad Wesley Smith, the juggernaut. Yeah, I know Chad well. Uh, Ch- Chad actually had breakfast in my house once in Dublin. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. No, Chad's a really smart guy. Um, 
you know, when we started to first become a little bit more well-known in like 2014, it was largely in part because we started doing a lot of work with Juggernaut. And at the time, they were just, they were exploding in terms of popularity. And so just kind of picking Chad's brain on different stuff has been, uh, you know, pretty valuable along the way. So I'd probably say those two guys. Yeah, and he's he's a smart guy too, which I'm fucking strong as shit. He's super, super strong, and yeah, he's super nice. He's just, uh, he's a good person, man. Yeah, he's a great and, guy. Um, yeah, I think said, that's. I, I only had Max Max Ada as well. I had Chad in the podcast. About, it was about early 2014. He came over to Ireland in August 14 with Brandon and did a seminar. But uh, and I recently just had Max. Max is actually going to be his episode is actually going to come out on Friday. Um, and yeah, they're super nice guys. Uh, yeah, Max is probably one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. So yeah. I actually, um, I'm a huge fan of Max as well. Uh, anytime, anytime I get to hang out with those guys, the last time that I hung out with those guys was in uh, May for, for weightlifting nationals here in the U.S. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a real good time. Cool. So, uh, Nick, another question that I love to ask all the guests that come on, and then after this we'll get more into specific questions around your your expertise and, and um, uh, your craft. Uh, so in terms of uh, the good and not so good things you see within the physical preparation, fitness and nutrition professions, what would you say are the good and not so good things you see? And with the not so good, what sort of solutions uh, would you offer up? And I suppose another way I've been wording that question lately is what makes you proud to be in our profession and what doesn't make you so proud? And with the not so proud, what solutions would you offer um, sure. So maybe I'll start with the good. You know, what makes me proud? So one of the cool things about being in the fitness industry and being on social media is, I mean, there's you have the ability to help a lot of people. Mm. And I think that's it's it's good and bad. So this will be this will be the answer for both of them, I think. Yeah. So social media is good and bad. You have a lot of smart people out there that have access to a lot more people now. Um, you know, online coaching or whether it's ebooks or templates, something like that is, you know, fairly cheap, I guess. Um, you know, especially like templates or ebooks, you know, most people can get tons and tons of information out there to, you know, get, get started on the right path. Um, you know, one of one of our colleagues, so he actually helped us with the healthy diet templates. His his name's Doctor Spencer Nadolsky. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. Know him well. I know I know Spencer well. I haven't interviewed him, but I know of him very well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So I mean, he's now kind of left in person medicine altogether and is now doing it all online. Oh yeah. Uh, through Steady MD, which I think is cool because. Well, I guess he can't really help people internationally because of you know medical laws and things like that. But uh, he can help a lot of people in the U.S. And so I think technology and, and social media and all that is really opening up different you know avenues for folks to get help outside of what they may be able to traditionally get access to, which is obviously really good for a lot of folks. Uh, now, obviously, that being said, uh, one of the downsides as well to social media and all that is you get a lot of just dumbasses out there. Uh, just giving bad information to people and you know whether it's hey you know i'm joe schmo and i got a six-pack abs so you got to listen to everything that i say because obviously because i have good genetics i know everything in the world and now i need to coach hundreds of people and you know give all this advice so it's definitely a double-edged sword so i think you just have to be really careful out there and kind of who you listen to and who you trust because i mean uh, you know, look at some of these people out there with a million followers on Instagram, and then you look at the quality of information they're putting out, and it's literally, uh, 
it would be an insult if I called it dog shit. It's actually below dog shit. So it's like, yeah, you just got to be really careful of that stuff. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that makes me proud to be in the industry. But then you turn around and look at some of the other information that people are giving out and it just, you know, makes you want to shake your head. Yeah, like, com- completely agree with that. And I would have been, like, I'm 30 now. And like, when you're kind of in, like, your early 20s and you're sort of getting into our profession at first, you're like, I want to, you know, I want to fucking get rid of all these fuckers that put out terrible information. And I want to, you know, get as much great information to the masses and then when you get to your mid-twenties, late-twenties, you discover people like Alan Watts, who's a philosopher, and then you kind of mellow out, and you realize, well, if there wasn't bad information, we wouldn't know what good information was. Like, So in terms of like the universe, <laughs> the, the universe is a completely, uh, it, it completely works through contrast. Like, you won't know good without bad, left without right, day without night. So his point is like trying to have everything perfect and good is a fruitless endeavor because the whole point of the universe is to have contrast. You need to be able to... To, you need to be able to have contrast to be able to differentiate between everything in the universe. So again, like left to right, man cold, hot, or sorry, man woman hot cold, left right good bad. So he's like, it's not saying that again. We should accept dog shit. Ooh, no one likes dog shit anyway. I think cat, mm-hmm. I think cat shit is worse. You ever fucking fall on, the, on a piece of grass when you're playing football and you're like, ah, I think that's cat shit. <laughs> fucking stinks it does. But anyway, back to my point. Uh, so, like, with Alan Watts, like, he was one person that made me realize that, again, the universe works through contrast and trying to have it all one way is a fruitless endeavor. But completely agree with you. I think I think a key thing is, a real key thing that to help the masses is, is, is to try and develop more critical thinking in individuals. Rather, you know, the idea of instead of giving them the fish, you know, teaching people how to fish. So if we can make people more critical in how they absorb and digest uh, information and, you know, encourage people to think critically, think more, and come to their own conclusions. I think that would be a, a big help. Because, I mean, like, when you put information out there, like, it can be, you probably notice yourself, it can be so misinterpreted by the end user. And then, like, can you really can you really blame the person putting the information out there? Or, like, is it up to the end user at the same time? So, you know, I think uh, it's, it's, you know, it can be difficult sometimes. Ah, oh, man, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, in terms of the critical thinking, obviously, we, we'd all love if, more people had that but you know there's just so many people out there and now again this is where i go back and forth because obviously you know i love america i love you know uh, free market and capitalism so i totally understand where these people are coming from they have america. Their own gotta say Mer- america america That's fuck right. yeah <laughs> so yeah, anyways i mean you know some of these people that would never have a million followers or whatever they're just putting out stupid information yeah. Uh, you know, people are demanding it, right? And so someone has to be there to supply it. Yeah. And so, like, I totally get it. And, you know, I, you know, so that's just kind of one interesting way that, that I look at it, too. And, and I think you're right, too, man. Probably when I was in my earlier 20s, so I actually turned 30 here in a couple of weeks myself. Uh, I'll totally agree. You know, I was ready to be out there, sort of arguing and, and fighting with everybody. And yeah, we all go. Through, we all go through that phase. We start watching the Zeitgeist movies and the fucking government are planning everything. And <laughs> you know, fucking America flew the planes into the buildings, and the world's coming to an end. And the Bilderberg Group, and, uh, and then you're just like walking around depressed all the time, and nothing matters. And then you're just kind of like, well, I like, can either just be depressed all the time, or I can just fucking just get on with it. Yeah, totally, man. It's just now I'm just kind of at the point where, like, I mean, we have a pretty good reach now where I just kind of sit back and go, you know, it's just not even it's not even worth my time. Like, I can be doing positive stuff rather than, you know, just arguing with with trolls and all that. Absolutely. There's a saying that if you can't control it, don't worry about it. And if you can't control it, there's no need to worry about it. 
Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. I mean, there's no reason to worry about stuff that's outside of your control. It'll drive you bonkers. Yeah, exactly. So that's great stuff. So uh, getting a little more into the specifics then. So you guys released a fantastic nutrition book about it's it'd be over two years and maybe it's going on three years and you're going to you're recently come, or, or there will be a second edition coming out so the renaissance periodization uh diet sorry i know i say re- renaissance i know i say it weird no no uh, i like it i like it the way you say it way better i wish i could say it uh, all more right like that. renaissance but uh just talk us through you know that book uh like i know that you yourself mike have been on a, many different you know particularly Mike, you know, podcasts and interviews, and you've spoken about the hierarchy. But maybe just speak about the hierarchy a little bit, just give the context for the listeners. Um, one question I do have is I always hear you guys say, you know, the, the calories and macros are going to go 80% of your results. Are you just, like, saying 80% or, like, what's that based off? Yeah, so it's kind of rough approximations, of course. There's no, yeah, like, official... Yeah. Well, hey, calories are technically 49.34%. Yeah, I know, no, I know, it's I just... Know. It's just a really good visual representation. So the the hierarchy is, and we actually can't start the hierarchy without saying that consistency is the most important aspect when it comes yeah, to diet yeah. or training. So if you don't have consistency, well, you you don't have anything. And so you know after that, so calorie balance, you know whether you're looking to lose weight or gain weight, it's going to be about half of the battle. Um, after that, you have macronutrient intake, which is about thirty percent. Nutrient timing about ten percent, then food composition and supplements about five percent. So that you know is going to equal one hundred percent of your diet success. And again, they're sort of rough numbers; they're not uh, exact. That, that's actually a good question. You know, some people maybe just take that set in stone. But yeah, it's just to kind of help give the visual, you know, representation of that uh, of what's more important versus what's less important. Um, interestingly enough, you know, that gets shifted around a bit when you talk about just general health and weight loss. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, that your your hierarchy switches. Whereas in Eric Helms' one, even though it's almost identical, it's a little bit different. So Helms has the calories and the macros as, as the foundational two levels like you guys. But then he goes into micronutrients. Then he goes into time. And then he goes into supplements. And I remember emailing Mike. First of all, I said, Mike, would you change this before he came out with the health one? And I was like, Mike, would you change the hierarchy if it was more for health rather than body comp? And he said, Yeah, and he told me to change the jewel discussing in a second. And then I emailed Eric, and Eric was like, No, I wouldn't change the thing because he's under the assumption that you're eating the best best quality food as possible on his one. So it was just interesting on that. But yeah, th- so uh, uh, go into the difference between your body comp one and your more health orientated hierarchy. Yeah, so when it comes to just general health and weight loss, uh, calorie balance is actually going to take a, a bit more of an emphasis. So it's maybe a bit more like 50, 60%. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you actually have food quality because the idea behind it is going to be, you know, if you're eating more traditional healthy foods, lean proteins, veggies, fruits, whole grains, you know, all that stuff, man, it's really hard to overeat in terms of calories. So if you're doing that, it's really hard to, you know, put yourself in a caloric excess where you're going to gain weight. And typically, if you're gaining a bunch of weight and sort of outside the recommended weight ranges, well, you're probably not going to be in the best health. Um, obviously, there are, of course, exceptions to all the rules. But uh, generally speaking, you know, once you focus on calories and focusing on just good quality foods, that's going to get you most of the way there. And now, so why are the macros switched around a little bit? And why are they, you know, third instead of second when it comes to health? Well, it's interesting because, you know, you can have folks like vegans, vegetarians that eat, you know, a higher carb diet 
and they can be in really good health. And you can have folks that are like primal or keto, and they can be in really good health. You have folks that, uh, you know, are, if it fits your macros and, you know, flexible dieting, they can all be in good health. So if all these different groups, they all have such widely different and distributed macro ranges, how, you know, like how is that, you know, how does that all add up? And well, it comes down to, you know, calorie balance and, you know, control for calories being a good weight range, exercise well, and, you know, you'll, you'll be a large part of the way there. So yeah, it gets shifted around just a little bit for, uh, for general health. And I think after macronutrients in terms of health, you know, then at the top you have nutrient timing and, you know, supplements and, and hydration. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was another thing I, I know, I never heard you say it now, but Mike kind of has hydration kind of down the list an awful lot, whereas some people have that as a little more priority, you know, like hydration. You know, often hear people say, you know, your hydration, nutrition, sleep, and hydration is so key in terms of cellular function. Why do, why do you guys have that as such a low priority? Just interesting to know. Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the health book is more or less based on, like, the typical Western mm. world diet. And so do you know many people in the, you know, Western world now, whether that's the U.S. or, you know, a bit more affluent-type countries that are going to die from dehydration or anything like that? The number's pretty dang low. Mm. You know, most people have access to, you know, water and all that so that's why it's not as high now obviously right like if you go several days or whatever without water you're not going to be doing good in terms of health but uh, the book is based on the assumption so sort of like eric has some assumptions in his book you know it's, it's assuming that you know we're talking about people if your main issue is you're you're overweight you probably don't have an issue getting access to you know water so that's that's why hydration is a bit lower on that yeah, I suppose quite like the overweight person doesn't drink water, so I suppose that's why people say like if we get to drink more water, would that you know would, would that make it more priority? But I get what you're saying, like they're they're not dehydrated. Well, the other thing is, do people never consider the actual hydration they get from food sometimes as well? You know, depending on the, sure. food, that, the food that they're taking in. You know, like so, like if you're like an example, like fucking tomatoes have tons of water in them. It depends. Yeah, I'm just giving an yeah, example. Sure. Well, yeah, say, yeah, yeah, lots of fruit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, like you'll get some hydration for that as well, but. Uh, no, great stuff. So the uh, next sort of topic I'd love to get your thoughts on is female fat loss because there's, you know, that's of course you want to talk about it. You don't have to. Um, but <laughs> in in terms of obviously because Lion McDonald's come out is coming out soon his monster book and there's a lot of sort of stuff out there. Now I actually came across someone who sort of slightly bashed the Renaissance diet book because look at these guys they're talking about calories in calories out because what you see is that like. Or what I've seen throughout my short, well, short, I'm what, 11, 11 years in the profession now, I suppose it's it's relative. Someone's only in the fucking profession a year. I'm, I'm fucking ancient compared to them, but someone's in it 40 years. I'm still doing <laughs> But anyway, I digress. I digress about I'm sorry. But uh, you, you, like, you see, like, there's a spectrum. So people are all like, you know, it's calories in, it's calories out, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's some people say, no, it can't be calories because they're not created equal. They cause different biochemical reactions, and there's hormones, and leptin, and insulin, and then fucking females have all their shit going on. I know females who under it, and they still put on weight, and, like, people are like, that's impossible. It goes against thermodynamics, blah, blah, blah. So, like, in terms of, like, female fat loss and females who really struggle, like, what is your whole sort of thought process on it? Do you think that there actually is females who generally, like, fuck themselves up? Uh, you know, I think a lot of it goes into 
the mindset in psychology around, you know, dieting for females. And they have it way harder than males do. Let's just be honest here. Um, Just tons of different, you know, hormonal things going on that leads to tons of water weight fluctuations, you know, uh, you know, different stuff like that. But I think one of the main things is just kind of the mindset of, of chronic dieting and always wanting to diet or, you know, not being okay with eating more just to maintain and or, of course, you know, never wanting to bulk or gain weight, even if their goal really truly is, you know, to get better at sports. So there's just a big mindset thing that goes into female dieting. And I think that has to be taken into account um, when all that. So are there some females that probably have some, you know, man, I hate saying the word damaged metabolism because, yeah, you can diet for a really long time. But once you start eating more, that's going to start to rebound a little bit, come back. So, I mean, yeah, you know, we get people all the time that reach out to us and say, oh, you know, I, I think I've, you know, ruined my metabolism. It's like, okay, well, obviously we're not going to start you off dieting, you know, yeah. hypocaloric state, but once you take a few months to eat, maintain your weight, just train really hard, you know, maybe put on a little bit of muscle, just relax a little bit, don't worry about cutting. Uh, you can always cut later, but take some time, eat more, maintain, probably want to get your fats up a little bit, you know, for some of the hormonal stuff, make sure that all evens out. So, yeah, I think there's definitely something to it, but I think a lot of it, you know, it's a lot uh you know the psychology part of it and just making sure that you know females just need to realize the importance of maintenance sometimes maybe even massing but you know just not being stuck in the mindset where you just think you have to be a set weight or you know you always have to be cutting because that's probably going to lead to nowhere good i mean and to be honest you're seeing it more in males too like as in like you see guys and they're getting afraid to bulk now because they're like you know, obviously when they cut down and they're lean and they have a six-pack and then, like, when it gets to the bulking phase and they kind of say, oh, I'm getting fat, I'm losing the outline of my six-pack and they kind of start panicking and they start doing this mini-cut and it's like a little perpetual cycle they stay in then where yeah. they, just, they just don't go anywhere. So, yeah, you're starting to see it in, in males too and it can cause a lot of fucking serious issues in terms of just, like, your mental health stability because you're just racking your brains out all the time trying to keep yourself happy. And, like, to be honest, the... You just, it's just again another fruitless endeavor to try and do that because you know you're if you're gonna try and stay as as lean as possible you're gonna be miserable all the time and then like when you start bulking you're gonna like lose a bit of your physique so like it's just like you're gonna have to have some acceptance along the way. Totally, man. I think a lot of people don't realize. So when you actually look your all time leanest, you typically feel your worst. <laughs> uh, and people people don't necessarily understand that i mean obviously the goal is to be pretty lean and being able to be able to have a, a fairly relaxed you know maintenance type diet where you can maintain a, a pretty lean physique i think that's most people that are into fitness that's kind of the the ultimate end goal but yeah you know there's a reason why bodybuilders or whatever are only lean like that for a little bit and then in their off season they're not quite as lean because man when you're super shredded like that life sucks oh, I tell you, yeah i have absolutely no sex drive yeah, yeah, you just like sit around, you have no energy, everything pisses you off, you just hate everything. It's cold and just fucking. It was so funny because Mike was cutting one time and he was doing a video for a juggernaut and like he was just like completely like sitting down, leaning, head yeah. in hand. And then like about two weeks later, another, another new video came out with him with juggernaut and it was post competition and he was just like lepping around the place, he had so much energy. You're like, oh, he's back in a surplus, I see. Yeah, totally, man. It's uh, it's really interesting. And my wife actually just competed in um, 
in a figure physique show and so yeah it was just kind of interesting because neither of us had competed in a couple of years and so it's just kind of you know it, it, uh, interesting to see because it had been a while but uh, yeah you know just the, the sacrifices that it takes to get that lean and you know the the trade-offs that come with it and then you know kind of what happens afterward and, and all that good stuff but yeah it's a uh, it's a uh, you know can be a big mental hurdle for a lot of folks. Yeah, sure. like, li- listen, you're fucking fighting every sort of survival instinct in your body. Like, so, I mean, it's Absolutely, just, man, it's yeah. just uh, yeah. And again, in the grand scheme of like homo sapiens, bodybuilding is like around like how long is it? it like competition side, it was like around like fucking 70, 80 years. Like, okay, you had like Shando and Hackerschmidt doing shows back in the day. Wouldn't love to met them boys. See, would have great crack with them lads. Pick me up, <laughs> pick me up, throw me around. Ah! But, uh, like, you know, like, in the grand scheme of, like, the evolution of humans, I mean, bodybuilding's, like, been around, like, for such a short period of time. Oh, man. Like, but it's the same thing with sports. This is the other thing, too. Like, you know, people are talking about, like, why are all these injuries in sports, like hamstrings and ACLs? And I was like, do you realize sports are complete fucking novelty? Like, I mean, every time people go and play sports, the brain's like, what are you doing? What's going on? Why are we running so much? Why am I smashing into people? Like, it's just, like, sports completely, like, foreign to our body still. Like, I mean, organized sports only been around not even 100 years itself, like... Yeah, totally, man. I mean, you know, what do you expect? Our, our, you know, we're designed to basically survive, and you know, that's it. So you start throwing all this new stuff in, and yeah, man, it's just even then, you know, people don't understand that performing at the top of any sports as well, just the trade-offs required for that. You know, people want to talk about health and longevity and all oh. that. Well, if your goal is health and longevity. You, you should not be trying to be the best of your particular sport. No matter what sport it is, the trade-offs to get there, whether it's a marathon runner, like you don't think they're going to have fucked up knees or, you know, feet. I mean, shoot, one guy – so I, I come from a distance running background in high school. So one of the guys that I looked up to um, was a really good runner from the state of Michigan. I, I grew up in the state of Michigan. I'm pretty sure his name was uh, Dathan Ritzenheim. And I'm pretty sure he ran either like a 5K or 10K like at the U.S. trials one year, like with a stress fracture in his foot. Yeah, I just – so anytime you want to get to the top of your sport, it just requires these trade-offs that just aren't going to lead to, you know, ideal longevity. Now, some of them can be somewhat healthy, but again, just like pushing your body to that extreme is, you know, just not ideal. No, I don't, I don't think there's any sport that's that. And that's a huge misconception among so many people is that sport helps it. Like I, for the listeners, like oh, my videos on here and I'm like nodding like crazy when, when Nick just said that because it's been an area that I've been speaking about for a long time. Uh, and it's particularly been on my mind a lot lately. I have another guy, James Fitzgerald from OPEX, he talks about that all the time. He's like, sport and health are not the same thing. Like, I'm always like, rugby, not fucking healthy. You're like, <laughs> mini car crashes happening like every few minutes. You're smashing your body into an opponent. And it's just that people think that God, because it's probably because of the the uh, exte- aesthetic looks of some of the top sport people that yeah, people yeah, assume, sure. as- assume that they're healthy. But like, if you talk to any top level athlete and their coaches, they're like, Top level performance and like illness are actually quite close to one another. Like they, their immune systems are like always fucking on the go because they're pushing themselves to the absolute limits in their sporting endeavor. But it's a sacrifice they make for 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 the sport that they love. Like so, but it's absolutely true. I mean, there's like I mean, you look at like say an NBA player, all that fucking air travel, crossing time zones, playing at like nine o'clock at night under lights, fucking up your circadian rhythm, like not going to bed till two or three in the morning. Like baseball too. What an unhealthy sport! Like, oh my god. So every yeah, day for six months or whatever. Yeah, uh, you're playing. Yeah. It's it's so it's so like it's so foreign to like say someone like if you go from a team sport background. Like, I mean, I know baseball's a team sport, but like like American football, soccer, rugby, 
And then you walk into a baseball, and you're like, do you know that guy over there? Yeah, it's a big fat guy. Oh, yeah, it's a big fat human guy, yeah. He's, like, one of the best baseball players in the world, and he's, like, worth 40 million. You're like, look how fat he is, and he's worth 40 million. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's really funny, man. Yeah, yeah, the two typically don't go together all that well. No, no, not at all. And something people really overlook. But, yeah, I think you're probably right, man. Typically those people are pretty lean or whatever, so I think people just sort of assume that they're in good health or whatever, which you know, can be misleading because, yeah, they, well, they may be in you know good physical shape, but, you know, it's all, all the other hosts of, you know, weird complications that can go along with that, uh, you know, not to mention just probably crazy stress as well. So just before we go on, are you in a running base background? That's amazing because the physique you have, wouldn't, the physique I've seen in some of your pictures, you wouldn't have thought at all you ever had an endurance base background. Yeah, man. So I was, you know, here's how it all started, uh, how I got started running. It was like way back in middle school. You know, two of my good friends are like, hey, we're signing up for middle school track. You should do it too. You get, the day, you get the day off school and get to see the girls kind of job. I mean, something like that. But they're just like, hey, we're, we're signing up for track. You should too. And I was like, okay. You know, and just typical, you know, peer pressure. So, of course, I did. But, uh, yeah, you know, a couple of years after just kind of running, and I somehow was, you know, fairly decent at it. So, I, of course, was more motivated to, to keep doing it. But there was a time when I figured out, and this is a really novel, you know, a real novel thing, but uh, – I was able to work really hard, and one summer I sort of showed up after like being no good my freshman year in high school. I trained all summer really, really hard, like pretty much way harder than anyone on my team, and I came back my sophomore year, and all of a sudden I was like right up there with the top people, mm. and I kind of I made this realization. I was like, huh, if I work really, really hard at you know like fitness or whatever it was, running and lifting, I'm like, I can become pretty good, and I was pretty much hooked, and you know, from there, that, that obviously got me into lifting and stuff too. And actually, I mean, I don't. Do you know who uh, David Boston is? He was an NFL player. David Boston, I don't know who he was. Okay, so he was just like just total freak of nature. The wide receiver could run like a four three forty, and he looked like a bodybuilder, like five percent body fat, probably weighed like two hundred and twenty pounds or something like that. And I remember he had an article in. Um, like an ESPN magazine one time. I literally like, I cut those pictures out of the magazine and I like taped them up in my room and like in my you know, parents, like makeshift home gym in the basement that, you know, had like those sand weights and stuff. And like, man, that was just a start. I was just was super motivated to always lift and just work really hard because you know, I realized that, you know, the more hard work I put in, the better I did. And yeah, it's just, in a nutshell, how I got started, and then of course translated over into lifting because as soon as I kind of stopped running for distance, you know, I always loved lifting too. It was you know a battle between the two, and lifting kind of eventually won out, and then I got really hooked on that. And so that's in a nutshell how I got started and all this crazy fitness stuff. Great stuff. Just a, a question I want to ask you too. So just in terms of body composition, would you be at the thought process that like you know calories in, calories out determines your weight? But the macronutrients kind of determine your composition. Would you be kind of that way to say? Yeah, it could be. So I think when it comes to performance macros, uh, the macronutrient breakdown is going to be a bit more particular because obviously if you're someone that's going to train, you know, really high intensity stuff, I mean, do you want predominantly fat as your you know, main source? Probably not. You probably want more carbs. Um, one time, you know, Mike made a good analogy on Facebook. He said, you know, you can do low carbs if your goal is performance, but it's kind of like putting a uh, lawnmower engine in a race car. Yeah. So that's just something that kind of stuck with me. So, I, yeah, I think, it, you know, 
plays a big role in it. But if you really want to perform, you know, in, in more high intensity stuff, then, you know, having more carbs is going to be beneficial. Now that may start to shift and I actually don't know all that much about it and won't pretend to, but if you start getting into more endurance stuff, you know, some of these ultra marathon and, and different things like that, that could definitely shift around, but I won't pretend to really know anything about that. Why would anyone want to do those ultra marathons? You know, people are like, Oh, I did those Ironmans. I'm like, why, why did you hate yourself so much? Yeah, man, it's pretty crazy stuff. I obviously have a lot of respect for those people. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Definitely, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know what it is, man? It's, you know, even if, even if it's bodybuilders or whatever, too, I mean, we're all a little messed up in the head, right, to, you know, want to do all this stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, and just kind of push yourself like that every day, and you know, especially at, at the top levels and, and all that stuff like we talked about a little bit before. It's uh, You definitely just have to – it's not, I guess, quote-unquote normal. Uh, man, we're all fucked up. We're all, like I was yeah. at, I was at a seminar there not last weekend, the weekend before. Like and on like the lunch break, like everybody was just like training, and I was just like going around, and I was saying to everyone, "We're fucking, we're weird. Like what, 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 what's going on? Like we all, like we're all just like itching to train on our lunch break. It's like we're not, we're not right in the head." Yeah, totally, man. It's, it's whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, you know, drive to just not be normal and always wanting to push yourself to get a little bit better. Whatever it is, but uh, suppose what yeah. what is what is normal though? You know what I mean? You look around and yeah, you know, just walk down the street. And you're kind of like, you know, is that like is that what? No, I don't want to be that, so I don't. Dad, that's quote unquote normal, man. There's a lot more you know folks like that out there than there are people you know wanting to kick their own butt every day for an hour just. True. For, you know, quote-unquote fun. <laughs> True. But as Gandhi said, even if the truth's in the minority, it's still the truth. Yeah. yeah well, hey, man, I mean, there's a reason that, uh, you know, I probably got started lifting or whatever when I was 12 or 13, and here I am turning 30, and I'm still doing it, so I've you know, been doing it more than half my life. All right. So we've covered your background. We've covered influence. We've covered the good and not so good. Uh, we spoke about the hierarchy for body comp and for health. Uh, we spoke about female uh, fat loss, and, and just we digressed a bit into your endurance background. So the next thing I'd like to talk about is the concept of muscle gain, because I know in the first RP manual, and I know Mike's maybe changed this now, or he's clarified his guidelines a little bit. Like he was like a pound to two a week, and then like I know that when Eric came out with his uh, with his kind of hierarchy, like his his were a lot more modest in terms of his recommendations. And like, um, I suppose again, it depends. We talking about like so many factors, you know, they're beginner, intermediate, advanced, and whatever fucking they mean. And then obviously there's genetics and there's drugs and stuff like that. But in terms of muscle uh, gain, like, what do you think is a realistic sort of bracket now or guideline? Obviously, you can't give a, a, a definitive answer. And also on that. How how much extra calories on again we're going with the mean averages here? How much extra calories do we actually need to build additional muscle? Because I know Lion McDonald's recently come out. Now I haven't had a chance to read it, but he came out with some article there, like, and he was like, "It's not as much as people like think," you know. Yeah, you're definitely right. So that's kind of one of the things that we've changed over the years a little bit. So when Mike and I probably first started, I mean. So I've kind of been everywhere on the weight spectrum. I mean, when I was a distance runner in whatever high school, I was like 145. I've been as heavy as about 265 pounds at what one point. What the fuck? Bro, yeah, what? yeah. Oh, my God. Dude. What do you – you want your 215 now, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in a – 50, 50 pounds more. Or like we get fat like we are. 
Well, yeah. So, and we start talking about sort of mistakes we made when we were. Uh, this is probably even pre-RP, so... Yeah, I heard Mike say this before. I've seen all the videos of Mike. I'm like, woo, big boy. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And so Mike's 5'6", so one time I think he was about 260 or 270 at one point. So try to picture that. He was 5'6", man. So, like, he's literally, you know, as wide. But that was one of the mistakes we made, for sure, man. It's It was definitely, we just got too fat on mass phases. Now, did we get super, super strong? Man, you bet your ass we were super strong. Of course. And now, you know, obviously if we had to do that all over again, you know, we never would have got that big. I um, fucking hope you got strong because that's the only trade-off you make when you get super-duper fat. Like, yeah. By the way, I say that as somebody, and the, the, to be friends when I listen to this, so that I better say this, I was a fat fuck as well about two or three years ago. So I was – now, I'm six foot two now, but I was over. I was about 210, which isn't, which isn't massive, but, like, I was paunchy, you know what I mean? And then I – I'm only about 175 to 180 now, but like at least I have yeah. vis- I have visible abs now and stuff like that, you know. But I- I've been there myself, you know. You're grabbing like little, little fucking handfuls down there, and of course I was stronger. Yeah, no, I mean I remember those days quite vividly, and you know <laughs> I remember definitely just crushing PRs and that. But you know, obviously the trade-off was just too much fat gain, and then the the one time I you know dieted down for a bodybuilding show. You know, I ended up having to do like a four or five month diet and it was just pure torture because you, you know, all that fat that you gain when you're amassing, it has to come off eventually if you want to be lean. And yeah, so that was, that was definitely a mistake that we made early on and something that we definitely don't repeat anymore. Um, but I would say our guidelines are probably more like a pound a week for weight gain mm. because it, te- it seems to be a pretty good trade off. So if you gain a pound a week for, let's say, you know, two or three months on a mass phase, so you're putting on anywhere from you know 10 to 15 pounds, somewhere around there. Um, that's you're not going to gain a ton of fat doing that. Will you gain a little bit? Sure, but you're also eating enough to ensure that you're going to put on some muscle and get quite a bit stronger. And so I think it's uh, it's kind of a, a delicate balance there on, in terms of trade offs. You know, I think you had mentioned it earlier. Some of the mental stuff. There's a lot of people out there that don't even really want to consider bulking. And so usually if you tell them, now maybe for girls, obviously because they are typically on the lighter side, you know, maybe half a pound to a pound a week, uh, maybe for guys. I mean, usually around one pound a week, you start getting up too much more past that. And I just don't think the uh, the gains that you'll make in terms of uh, the muscle-to-fat ratio would be worth it. So that's definitely something that we have tweaked a little bit and been a bit more conservative, so probably uh, more similar. I, I'm not sure exactly what Eric says, but probably more aligned uh, with that now yeah yeah and uh yeah like it's it was just interesting i remember reading that in in, in like uh you know the, the differences in the guidelines between renaissance and eric's book and just like eric's were, were much more modest i'd have to double check like exactly what they were but they were they were much more um they were much lower figures than originally what, what mike had originally uh, put out but uh, but uh, and in fairness, Mike, he like he goes, well, listen, it, like he, he was on the assumption that like people knew they were gaining fat with his one, and like and his whole thing. And I suppose you'd probably be of this thought too, is that his thought process is that like it's easier, obviously, to cut fat and easier to hang on to muscle than you know. So it's it, that was kind of the trade off he was willing to make. Yeah, for sure. And I think probably coming back down to that one uh, still kind of gets you a little bit more because you're still like. If you're gaining one pound a week versus two pounds a week, so you're talking on a three-month diet, 12 versus 24 pounds, 24 pounds is a hell of a lot of weight. So yeah. you're going to be gaining quite a bit of fat in there. 
Um, and, and real, real quick, so this is kind of a little bit off topic, but uh, because we keep talking about Eric, um, I just think it's something uh, really cool. So uh, RP is actually giving uh, some money to Eric to, to do some research down at his lab in New Zealand. Awesome. Yeah, totally, man. So we've actually been in touch with him uh, recently, and so he just got his PhD, so now he has a bit more time, and so he's uh, setting up some studies, and we're going to get that set up here. So I, I think it's really cool because obviously, uh, you know, Eric's a really smart guy, and uh, we're pretty pretty cool and proud to be able to help him out in funding some studies. It, then in just going off that, so we spoke about the gain, like. It, Caloric wise, like how much do you think someone needs to increase their calories by to gain? Because again, I suppose you know I've heard people say you know 250, 500, even I've even heard some people say up to like a thousand calories. Uh, uh, like usually about 500 is usually where people go. Like so, what would your thought process be? Again, I know it's ballpark figure. Well, I think if we assume you want to gain about a pound a week, right, that's going to be, you know, obviously these are sort of ballpark numbers, but, uh, you know, about 500 calories a day is going to put you in that gaining about one pound a week. I think 1,000 would be uh, a bit too much. Now, um, you know, because, again, I think that's on the far too end of the spectrum there with a thousand calories and, and you, now that being said you know you may have some days that end up being around that if you have a big cheat meal or something like that but probably on average per week you know uh, roughly 3500 calories will, will net you about one pound of uh, weight gain yeah great stuff great stuff uh, there was something else I was going to ask you there what was I going to ask you so we had muscle gain, muscle fat loss for females. I suppose we've we've kind of we with the hierarchy. We've, I suppose maybe in training too. A question I just definitely want you to to, to ask you and get your topics on. If if I was supposed to, you, Nick, like what is your overall philosophy when it comes to training, nutrition, and even like if you want to get more into like life philosophy, like where is your current mind mind process at there with all that? Oh, uh, do you mean like me personally, or uh, for no, RP yeah, yeah. in general? No, you you personally yourself, yeah. Um, so I I come from where I have competed, and I'm you know I'm a pretty competitive person and all that. Uh, I've kind of stepped away a little bit from the sports competitive you know uh, arena, and uh, put more of my time into RP. Now, obviously. There's good reasons for that. Um, it tends to be more beneficial and can hopefully set things up for you know longer term. Uh, usually, when you're competing in that stuff, uh, it ends up costing you money. You don't really make money unless you're you know the elite, elite, elite. And I, I realized that I was never going to be you know in that elite caliber. Um, and I still love to lift, and I still lift you know five, six times a week, and you know do cardio a little bit here and there. But uh, I'm probably a bit more on just the you know, general kind of maintaining body weight in terms of body comp and, you know, just allow myself a little bit more flexibility, you know, because I got two small kids. So uh, my son's in kindergarten, uh, my daughter's, you know, three and a half. So just being able to kind of, uh, you know, have the, the luxury where I can, you know, go out and, you know, grab dinner, you know, with my daughter or something, or, you know, have ice cream with my kids and, you know, not have to, you know, worry too much about all that stuff because I can maintain pretty easily at 215 because I've been here for so long. Mm. You know, I, you know, I'm still probably around 10% body fat or so. And, you know, I just, I kind of like the, the, you know, balance that comes with it right now. And instead of competing, you know, I would obviously love to compete sometime again in the future, but, um, you know, maybe when, 
I mean, I don't know if you have kids or not, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's tough to do when you know your kids are small because it's uh, they, you know, it's uh, it takes up a lot of work and, and time, you know, especially if you, if you don't want to be just you know like a deadbeat parent. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's a huge thing too in terms of like you know trying to balance out you know your training and nutritional needs and obviously with family and i i don't have any i don't have any kids that i know of anyway so uh <laughs> i have no kids no no partner you know it's it's, it's the benefits of being asexual <laughs> i'm joking uh but uh, i'm single ladies if you're listening um you got, Yes, 30 and single, but I don't live at home, so there's, uh, you know, so anyway. <laughs> All right, it's, t- it's time to start digging up. I'm digging down here, dig up, dig up. Uh, but, yeah, no, and seriously, though, it, it is, the more uh, the more I've, I've you know, interviewed people and talked to people, it's, it seems to be a concept that comes up of people being able to, like, like, being able to have that division of, well, there's the coach me or the work me, and then there's the home, husband, family, father me. Uh, because even like we'll just digress a little bit like uh, I have talked to a friend lately and he was saying fuck everyone all my friends who are strength edition coaches they're either getting divorced or they're close to getting divorced because they just have terrible work balance relationship with the rest of life now obviously like you know balance in life is a bit of a myth there's obviously going to be times where work takes a precedence but uh, I think Mike Robertson who's a strength edition coach very good friend of mine he said a great thing he says it's okay to be unbalanced in the micro, but in the macro, you have to be balanced. It's like there's times during the year where family does have to take precedence, and then there's times where, okay, work and projects will, but you got to obviously discuss that and compromise with your family so they know that's coming up. But, yeah, it's it, it definitely is an area that a lot of people, I don't think, are talking about. The effect that, you know, a lot of a lot of this sort of social media, owning a business, running a business can have not only on someone's relationship with their partners and the kids we've relationship with themselves i mean if you're hating yourself obviously you're not going to be a great person to be around in terms of being a father or a, a partner or a wife or a husband uh, or a parent so it's just it's just interesting to hear you you know touching that too yeah totally man i mean this is kind of how i phrased it a little bit recently and i mean just with the way rp's grown the last few years i mean it's more than a full-time job and you know mm. by itself and then having two you know small kids and a wife obviously is you know, a full-time job and i mean as you know it man let's be honest if you want to really compete in bodybuilding or powerlifting it's a full-time job it's not something that you can half-ass and now maybe it's just like the perfectionist side of me but i know that like, i don't want to do it unless i can put a hundred percent into it because otherwise it's just like you know why would i want to try to compete in a bodybuilding show and show up you know and look like shit or something like that like i don't want to do that i know what it takes so i've done it before i know what it takes and i know that right now with basically two full-time other jobs adding you know full-time bodybuilding i mean like competitive bodybuilding and obviously i still lift five or six times a week and you know do cardio and all that stuff but it takes that extra gear to go to that like competitive get on stage contest prep or you know same thing with powerlifting you know there's a difference between you know you go in and train and all that versus you know you really want to dial in for me and you know go that next step that stuff's a full-time job and you know you just i've talked to so many people now that say the same thing you just like we can only do maybe one or two things really, 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 really well. Yeah. And yeah. like you start overextending yourself, and you know, in this example, trying to do three full-time jobs. There's only 168 hours in a week, so if we assume a full-time job is 40 hours, right there, you're at 120 hours. You know, you're left with 48 hours basically to sleep, uh, and that's it. So, 
It's it's totally. There's definitely something that needs to be said. Uh, you know, I would agree. Obviously, there's times where you know work's going to take a bit more precedence. And and when you talk about some of the struggles coming up, I mean, that was obviously one of them because I swear, all of 2016, like you could ask me what happened in the year 2016, like I wouldn't be able to tell you because my wife and I were always working. We were always on our computers, answering emails, or you know just. Uh, you know, staying afloat in terms of work stuff, and yeah. you know, it, it it definitely adds up uh, the, the stress toll it takes on your body. And you know, now we've kind of you know, gotten more help and, and all that stuff, so we don't have to sort of work ourselves mad because yeah, you can only do that for so long before you start to get a little burnout. So now we're in a pretty good. Uh, pretty good spot in terms of you know work-life balance and all that and you know that's part of the reason why my wife was able to just compete recently because you know we have a bit more help on that end so it's definitely something we said for all of that yeah and it's interesting because i was only speaking to a friend of mine yesterday like and he, he opened up for like three facilities and now he's kind of like you know what i was happier when i just had one facility and we were talking about the way like social media makes everyone like no one puts out their bullshit from social media it's always like how great well very few people everyone's like how great like no one puts out their mistakes and how they're truly feeling like how their business really is going right now like the fact sure. that they're actually in debt and they're stressing their balls and, and the thing is that I read a great book recently called Sapiens everyone's read this fucking book and everyone's like have you read Sapiens it's everywhere at the moment and like in Sapiens he brings up a really good point it's based by the way if you don't know it's, it's just a history of Homo Sapiens like from when Homo Sapiens came on earth to right the present day he talks about the cognitive revolution agricultural and the industrial and where we are now and he has a second book out the sequel called Homo Deus which is what he predicts what humans are going to do in the future but within Sapiens he speaks about no one's ever asked the question have humans gotten any happier with all of our innovations so he's like if we went back to the middle ages and was like to a peasant are you happy they'd be like meh and if you go to most people today on the street, like with all their technology and iPhones and cars and the, the technology bubble we live in now, it's like, are you happy? They're kind of like, meh. And he's like, like over the average, like our happiness hasn't got any better. So he, he's kind of like, if you look at someone who's a millionaire and someone who's middle class, he's like, studies have shown that their happiness levels are pretty much the same. Because people assume that millionaires must be happier because they have a million dollars. But he's like, no, but they've got a million dollars worth of trouble and stress. You're a middle class person with middle class troubles and stress. So it's like, it's relative. For the majority of people, dude, totally, man. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. You know, again, social media has completely warped everything in our lives. Let's be honest, uh, and you know, you only see the the good that people are putting out, and so you're just always like, oh shit, man, like, you know, I gotta strive. I gotta be, you know, I gotta try to match up with so and so, or you know, keep up. It's sort of like keeping up with the Joneses from the you know, 50s here in the U.S. all over again. But um, yeah, man, it, it's really crazy, and you know it there's pros and cons to everything and people just have to weigh the trade-offs. So your buddy that wanted to open up the other gyms, you know, is that trade-off worth it? You know, maybe you make a little bit more money, but your stress goes from, you know, it triples, let's say, because now you have three gyms instead of one. Like, is that worth it? Uh, it's sort of up to each individual to make that choice. Because that's the thing too, because I've had friends who've opened up gyms and I was like, should I open up a gym? And then it's kind of like, you hear about all the stresses and shit that goes through and like, oh, actually, I actually kind of have to be where I'm at to be honest. And a lot of the times, too, it's like you're, you're starting to like say, oh, I think I should take that course or I should do this or that. And it's like, why do you want to take that course? Or why do you want to read that certain book? Is it just because they're doing it so that you feel you need to do it? It's like, what do you really want? So one good thing lately that happened to me was that like I got a mentor who is the head of the sports science department here in a college in Dublin. And like I was like, right, PhD is where I want to go. And like for me right now, that's a six or seven year plan between my master's and actually PhD of attaining what I want. But at least now I have something that's completely 100% focused. So, like, I have a filter mm -hmm. now. If it's not adding to that 
to that to that goal. It's like it, I don't need it. Get out of my way. I don't need it. So no matter what now, I always have a core value to go back and say, is this getting me to what I want in terms of this PhD? So I, like, and there's another book called Essentialism, and like you were talking about, you probably can't do any more than one or two things. He would say you can't do anything more than just one thing. He's like the word priorities. He says has only come around the last like 100 years. He's like priorities as, in terms of an actual word in dictionary never existed. The word is priority. And he's like, only in the 20th century do we actually make it a plural, because it's really funny. And, and he talks about, too, in the book, the paradox of success, where he says that, like, the more successful you become, the, the more distractions you get, because you, you, you're, you were so laser-focused in this one area, and that made you so successful, this one thing, and so well-known. And he's like, now you have all these demands from outside people wanting your time and resources, because you got so well-known for this one thing. And he's like, it's a complete paradox. You were so focused, and you had such such mindset of essentialism is one thing. Now people are demanding so much, and it's dragging you every which way. And now you don't have that essentialism within you anymore. So he's like, be careful of that trap, which is really interesting. Yeah, you're totally right, man. And usually, the successful people that end up being able to scale and all that, they you know they probably have a host of other people that are able to help pick up some of that slack because. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny, and obviously, again, it's a double-edged sword. Everything comes with trade-offs. Absolutely. Um, he says and, that he says that in the book. That's actually one of the things. He's like, everything is a trade-off. Everything is a trade-off. Yeah. So uh, uh, Mike's a big fan of Thomas Sowell, and that's uh, you know he's a, a U.S. economist, super smart guy, and that's something he always talks about as well. But uh, you know, just as, a, as an example on kind of the RP side of things, you know, uh, success kind of breeds more success because yeah. obviously. You know, you start getting more people reaching out and, you know, wanting to collaborate or all that. But, yeah, it goes hand in hand because, well, then you got 10 different people wanting 10 different things. And then it's like, how do you cover it all? And you have to be able to, you know, hopefully have enough smart people around to, to help pick up some of that slack because you quickly realize as you scale that you can't do it all yourself. And yeah. that's kind of, again, goes back to when you asked earlier about challenges. It's something that kind of all small business owners uh, face as they you know, start to get a little bit bigger and bigger. All right, so Nick, I won't take up too much more of your time. So uh, just just for the, the, the earlier on when I was, I was like, oh, what's my next question? And I kind of drifted. It's because I was in the middle of pulling up Eric's book here. So just for just for the listeners, so because I wanted to make sure his guidelines were right. So in your original book with Mike or with Mike's original book, uh, well, no, your original book, you were a co-author too, uh, this, this is what was throwing me. So you guys are saying one to two pounds a week, whereas he's like one to two pounds per month for intermediate and he's like maybe up to three pounds for a beginner so that's why i was like whoa he's talking about like a month for one two pounds you guys are talking about a week now i know you got you guys are basically at the same now as eric and we've spoke about why why that was and actually i've just noticed here too for an 82 kilo individual he's like roughly about i didn't notice like in the book he was saying roughly about a two to three hundred caloric surplus per day for an intermediate 100 to 200 caloric surplus for advanced about 100 if you're at 82 kilos and then he's the same here for 59 kilos as well, 150 to 225 for beginners, 75 to 150 for intermediate, 75 a day for advanced. So that's actually, they're reasonably decent sort of those guidelines to go from. Yeah, I think sometimes the issue with that, if you, I, I totally get it, right? Nobody wants to gain fat when you're massing, right? In an yeah. ideal world, we could just, you know, we could do that. But it kind of comes down to the practical component of it. Absolutely. Man, it's, really, Absolutely. It's, really hard, it's really hard to track that. If your goal is to gain one to two pounds, like, per month, what, I mean, what is that, you know? It's a, uh, half, half a pound, well, roughly half, yeah. It's, it's yeah, half. A, a quarter to half a pound a week. Yeah, I know that if you're weighing yourself, is it water, is it, you don't know, yeah. For sure. It's really hard to track. And so I think sometimes having that slightly bigger buffer – 
Well, no, that, that, that one, he'd want uh, just to just to make sure I, I say this properly. It was one to two pounds for an intermediate. For a beginner, he has it down as up to up as much as three pounds. Right. So, yeah. So which is, which is, yeah, probably coming close to that. Uh, we say about one pound a week. You're talking about four pounds or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes just the the practical component of it it becomes hard for some people to do because I actually remember this one guy. This is probably 2014 or something. He was trying to really argue with Mike and I about this on Facebook and. I, he actually like tried calling me out in one article I wrote for Jargonaut. Um, ironically, I can't even recall the guy's name if, if that means anything now. Um, but uh, yeah, he was you know arguing about that whole point, and that was just kind of our like from a practical standpoint. Yeah, it would be great if you could essentially infinitely mass, but your mass is only you know one pound a month. And well, okay, well you just do that for twelve months out of the year when you're, you're you have twelve pounds more muscle you know in a year and ah, man, I don't think the body quite works like that. If you kind of always want to be in a surplus, uh, you know, I just, I don't think it's super practical. And obviously, that would be ideal. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? I would want to do that. You gain 12, you know, 10 pounds of muscle a year. That's absolutely phenomenal. If you gain 10 pounds of, you know, muscle in a year, it's, those results would, would, you know, blow everyone through the water. But it, let me ask you this. So if that's so easy to do and obtain, how come all the biggest people in the world, you know, the the top bodybuilders, how come none of them do that right how come you know they they do big mass phases you know how come so all these you know natural guys or whatever that uh, now okay now obviously you're going to say oh well you know it's, it's all drugs or whatever but you know if, if it's so easy to do that in mass like that how come we don't have these natural pro bodybuilders that are you know 220 230 240 pounds that just you know gain one pound a month for you know uh a year through two, three, four, five years. Well, why can't you gain 40, 50 pounds? Well, it doesn't work like that. There's, you know, diminishing returns as you go. And so that's where the idea of, you know, diet periodization comes into play, you know, from our standpoint. Yeah, so. yeah. I think, and just for, for KG listeners, uh, you know, so we're talking pounds. So, you know, you're saying like half a pound, two pound. You might be talking like yeah, a quarter, a quarter kilo to half a kilo would roughly, would roughly equate to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that makes it really hard to detect, you know, try to gain a, a quarter of a kilo or something a week. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah, tough yeah. to do. Again, like the, you know, we're arguing just real kind of minor stuff in, in all this. So, you know, hopefully people don't think that there's, you know, these like huge debates out yeah, there. Listen, I, I wouldn't yeah. even say, I wouldn't say it's an argument because this, there is no yes or no right wrong. And it's because, again, like everyone is going to accrue muscle mass at such different rates. And there's so many factors that go into that in terms of, again, Genetics, fucking the calories, the the drugs, you know. Are you and in terms of where are you in your fucking training career, you know? Uh, there's so many factors involved. That, you know, biological age will have a factor. Now you're obviously not going to grow muscle as easily as you get older than when you're younger. So uh, there's loads of factors that go into. It, so there probably is no way around. Everything is just, a, and that's the key word: guideline. Guideline. Same with calories to people. Sure. You ever, you ever mm-hmm. give someone a caloric guideline and they're like, you get these people who are like, I'm I'm sticking to this calories. It's like it's just a guideline. You know, that's why we gave you sort of this bracket to play around with. Dude, you're actually, no, you're preaching the choir, man, because we sell diet templates. And so people, you know, sort of assume that what's there can, like, never be altered or that they need to follow that to the T. But I'm like, no, 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 no. That would be the case if it was coaching. And so your coach can make all the modifications for you, but you're following a template. So you have to be able to adjust it uh, yourself sort of on the fly based on how you respond. Like, it's not going to be perfect for everybody because – yeah, people don't understand those big differences in um, 
you know, genetics. And so trying to explain to somebody, well, they're like, well, my friend lost 10 pounds. How come I only lost five? Are you your friend? Or did you perfectly replicate every single thing that they have going on for them? No. Like people have different lifestyles, whatever, different stress levels, different sleep levels, and different genetics. And so you look at that and you can go, all right, well, well, not to mention that the person who only lost five pounds is probably having a cheat meal or something every week. So, yeah, yeah. So wrapping this up, Nick, uh, just a question I love to ask everyone too. In terms of the biggest mistakes, and I don't even like calling them mistakes because they're they're opportunities rather than obstacles. But in terms of the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your life and in your career, you're 29 now, going 30. What would you say have been some of the the biggest uh, uh, lessons you've, you've learned so far in your life? Uh, maybe in terms of the fitness space, you know, in terms of what we did, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, probably making this mistake of trying to gain too much weight at once uh, in that regard. Um, maybe in terms of just like general kind of business stuff, uh, you know, maybe a mistake is you just got to kind of watch out for people's character. I think uh, that's something that, that we learned early on. Um, uh, some people that maybe weren't that nice to other people, well, they're probably not going to end up being, you know, people, folks you want to do business with, uh, something like that. Um, I would say that's probably one. Um, luckily, we were able to catch that pretty early on. But uh, other than that, I think that's probably one in terms of general business and, and one for, you know, uh, fitness. Definitely great stuff. Uh, your top advice, what would your top advice be to all the listeners? And, and by this, but when I say top advice, this can be anything. This can be like a course, a book, uh, a, you know, an online course. Uh, it could be something to do with spiritual development, personal development, training, nutrition, medicine. It could be anything you want to name out there. Um, just don't be afraid to ask for help, right? So, you know, all the smartest people in the world or, you know, all the best business owners in the world – you know, they all have really smart people around them, so you can't you can't do everything yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a huge one. I think I suppose a lot of the time, what's kind of holding people back with that is insecurity and maybe ego too. You know, so I speak sure. a lot about ego. And any listeners who listen to my podcast regularly heard me talk about slow, but back there, maybe around Christmas time, early part of the year, I was like meditating an awful lot on the question of death and uncertainty, because to me. Uh, whether you, whether you think about death an awful lot or not, like some people obviously meditate. When I say meditate, I just mean think. You know, they meditate or think about it more than others. But even if people don't meditate about it much, it's always a question in the back of everyone's mind. It's like, what the fuck is next? Like we don't know, and it, it puts this level of uncertainty in everyone's mind. And then what a lot of people seem to do with this level of uncertainty in their lives is they come up with ego identities because it gives them a sense of control in their lives. So they buy into, or not even so much they buy into, but they cling on to very. Uh, um, very sort of dogmatic belief systems, be they religious or political or ideological, or else even if it isn't certain belief systems, it's habitual habits they have in their daily lives that could be actually self-limiting habits. So like it makes it really unflexible people be around. Like I always have my breakfast at this time and lunch at this time, and it's always fish on Wednesdays. It's, it's complete stability in their lives and no variability. And it's ironic too, then, because apparently the second biggest stressor to humans after uncertainty is too is too much certainty in their life. Not enough uh, variety. So it's this it's this paradox in the yin yang relationship again. But this level of uncertainty, then, uh, point trying to get across, it seems to lead to ego identities because an ego gives someone a sense of control. Like this is this is who I am. This is what I'm all about. You know, I'm Catholic or I'm Muslim or I'm a bodybuilder. I'm a powerlifter. I'm a lifting guy. I'm a this guy or that guy or girl. You know, for the females that are listening. And then if you start to attack that then, or if it gets to a situation where they feel, fuck, 
I'm not too sure if I know what I'm doing anymore and they, they seek help it kind of can be very damaging to their ego but I don't think that's great advice to seek out for help you know I'm lucky enough I suppose that just in who I've been exposed to so far in my life that I'm just one of these guys like I don't know all I can say is I don't really know I, I can say this is what I currently believe of some of the study I've done totally. uh, you know what I mean so like and I always very careful my words like this is what I currently believe uh, of basically what I know so far because there's so much shit that I don't know and will never know and also if we're talking about an area that I'm not an expert in I'm like I have no opinion on this but this is what I've heard and I always phrase it like this too like if someone goes what's your opinion on that I said well this is all I know and if this is it, and if the information I know is the actual accurate truth of what we're talking about well then this is my thought but if that isn't all the information well then I can't give a full critique of it but I'm, I'm always someone who that goes straight to the horse's mouth to like like when people are all like you know when people are like bashing the FMS I was like right that's it break up I want to talk about the FMS you've invented it and I, like you know what I mean it was just like you know if someone was like saying something about uh, renaissance uh, periodization I'd be like okay Mike Israel Nick uh, is this true about your company and then you know go straight to the resource so there's no middleman anymore but uh, yeah I think that's great advice to be able to just seek out help put your ego at the door and uh, I think it's key you actually just raised a really interesting point so you know if you really follow all the smartest people in the industry you'll very commonly see them you know say well I don't know or you know uh, you know, again, I just can't give a great answer on that. I just I don't know enough at this time. Or, you know, the answer is, of course, it depends, right? Um, smarter people like to say that. Usually when you get people maybe not quite as intelligent, they like to speak more in certainties. That usually is going to get somebody in trouble. As I usually try not to speak in certainties when it comes to diet and training because, of course, it depends. It depends on a number of factors. So sometimes I'll, you know, give some advice in our RP clients group, which you know has like fifty-seven thousand people in it, and people will kind of twist my own words around, you know, to to fit maybe you know their narrative or something like that. And I just want to be like, no, that's not what I necessarily you know meant. But in in that particular case, and you know, this person was asking about X. That's why I said that. Now, if, if you're not dealing with X and you're dealing with Y, the answer is going to be slightly tweaked from that. And, and sometimes, especially on the Internet, people have a really hard time deciphering that. So I think that's a really good point as well. Yeah, I used to teach a personal training college, and I used to constantly have to, to like, you know, really preface what I was saying. Um, I, I remember listening to Mike one time. It was actually on Danny Lennon's podcast. And he says it really funny. He goes, you know, if, if, if some people who disseminate information, now I'm paraphrasing, if some people who disseminate information would just put these few words before what they're saying, most of the time, yeah. most most of the just to present, it was just really pretty way. Most of the time, but, yeah, uh, but, yeah, if, sure. but even even when I was teaching, I used to have to do it all the time. So like one thing, one case in point would be uh, would be steroids, you know. And you know, a lot of people come in with preconceptions of steroids because all they know is steroids and the the, the the detriments and you know the cheating and all this. And people are always like, "What's your thoughts on steroids?" And I'm like. What? Okay, we need a lot of context here. So, like, I always go: if you're in a sport and they're banned, you're cheating. That's that taken care of. Now, for sure. If you're somebody who doesn't play a sport and you just want to get as big and strong as fucking possible, and you're past the age, <laughs> you're, you're past the age of at least twenty-one ish. The reason I say that is just because you know your organ systems and all are still grown and shit. I like you to be a little bit, you know. 
uh, I like it to be beyond kind of 21, maybe into your mid-20s. And then I'm like, and you've milked all your natural gains. You've actually trained pretty fucking hard and have milked right, right, all right. your natural gains that you can milk. You're pretty sure you have. And then here's the key point. And you actually know what you're doing. That, imme- <laughs> that immediately rules out 99.9% of people. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then I'm like, and then I'm like you're gonna, you're, you either are a doctor or you're going to work in conjunction with a doctor. You're going to get your bloods done regularly. You're going to go on off cycles. You're going to detox your liver. And oh, oh, by the way, you're also going to get actual quality testosterone. You're not going to like order it off fucking the internet from some place in fucking Kazakhstan, and like, and then like just fucking inject it into yourself. Be horse urine, for you know. Because see, the problem is, I always say to, I used to say to students, you're getting guys in the gym, and they're just like, just do it, just go on it. And I'm like, sorry, sorry, just, just go on it. There's like doctors who study the hormone system their whole fucking lives, and they still don't know all the shit that goes on. And, you're just fucking Declan down the local gym telling me to just do it. Uh, I don't think so, pal. So like, so then I say to the students, so if you tick all the boxes that I've just said there, knock yourselves out. And then like I'm always saying to them, guys, if you just research anti-aging, like the whole thing is about how steroids are like miracle drugs. And then the other thing is like, if you talk to doctors, I have loads of friends who are doctors, and like I have a friend and she said a great thing to me one day. She's like, if you ever got caught daydreaming in a class and then the professor pulled you up and said, like, you know, Dr. Judge, how would you treat this patient? She was like, if you just said steroids, like 95% of the time you were right. She was like, oh, steroids are implausible. <laughs> so, like, and then, the, and then the last thing I always say to people is, do you realize, like, most females in the world are on fucking steroids? Like, the pill is a steroid. Progesterone and are steroid hormones. And no one ever, like, oh, they're cheating Mother Nature. It's like, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. People, yeah, steroids are a really touchy subject, and ah, uh, they just—it's—it's uh, it's mainly because of the cheating and sport thing, really. I think that's where people sure. don't like. If you're not in a sport, you just want to get fucking big and strong and jacked, and you've ticked all those boxes I named. I've no, and you're not like pushing on other people or saying you need this stuff. You're just keeping it to yourself. That's absolutely. But like, like the people I respect are people who actually are taking it. And when someone goes and says I want to take steroids, they're like, uh, no, no, you, you, you need to just train harder for a while before you even think about it. Right, yeah, just no, 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 man, no, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. like, Nick, the last question, right? So, it's uh, oh, sorry, last two questions. Your top resource, top resource. So, what would your top like books be, podcasts, webinars, any personal development courses, anything at all? What would your top resource be? Oh man, Doctor Mike. Hey, right there. So, uh, uh, go. go. <laughs> Going off the back of that, just to, just before I ask the, like the last great question, give all the listeners your social handles, your website. I think Mike said recently on a podcast, probably with Steve Hall's one, uh, you're saying that you guys are, are you going to overdo Renaissance periodization? Like you're going to have like a really detailed membership site, or is that up already? It's like a, it's a monthly prescription. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, man. So we we have a membership site, and I think for anyone who's really interested in you know the science. So. Behind all fitness, diet, training, all that good stuff. I mean, RP Plus is a no-brainer. We're literally taking college courses. You know, Mike, James, a handful of other coaches on staff are professors here in the U.S. We're literally taking their courses that they teach, that people are paying thousands of dollars for, and we're putting them on the RP Plus site for 20 bucks a month if you wanted to pay every month. If you wanted to pay for a full year, it's like $10 a month. Holy fuck! Is that all it is? I thought it was more. I was like thirty or forty dollars a month. Jeez, that's a bargain. Yeah. So I mean, we're literally talking. You can get like college level courses. Not to mention, I mean, my wife puts up a bunch of recipes. Um, we have you know some 
some uh, we call them kind of like junior coaches or kind of like interns, whatever you want to call them. So really smart people really know their stuff. Uh, one was an intern of Mike. One was one of his best students at Temple. Um, they they moderate the forums in there, so if people have our templates. They can go in there and basically get coaching. Um, you know, a full RP seminar that I did from January is in there. I mean, Mike has like. I don't know, six to 10 hours of different seminar footage he's going to be putting in there. I mean, all that stuff costs hundreds of hundreds of dollars and it's going to be an RP plus for, you know, literally 20 bucks a month or even less than that. Honestly, um, I, I, I just get the year subscription. So you're talking like, well, 120 bucks for the year and you're talking like 10, uh, that's a bargain. That is, that's absolutely outstanding. Cause again, like, I mean, you guys put in so much free information, like, and like, if if that's the free shit you're putting out, I wonder what the pay content is like, you know. So that's fantastic. Where where can people find that? Uh, I mean, what's the exact website? So it's called RP Plus, but if you just go to our website, RenaissancePeriodization.com, uh, it's just under one of the tabs at the top. It says RP Plus. But uh, yeah, we're really really adding a lot of stuff to that. Um, I just filmed with a guy here local by me. Um, he's a DPT, so we did some videos, and he's gonna be doing some more videos. But I mean, honestly, like the the content in there, uh, I'm really excited about it because I think here in another you know three six months, it's just I think it's gonna be. Uh, something that becomes so popular that kind of everyone knows what it is and and all that. So I think it has a, a lot of potential there because I mean we just started it in March and you know we're we're adding content every single week. So there's a new video, there's a new blog post, there's a new recipe. You know every single week. I mean you can get live webinars with you know Mike and James and sometimes I'll do one myself. So all that stuff. Um, but yeah, RenaissancePeriodization.com for all of that. Uh, our main social media, how people know us, is uh, RP Strength on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty close. Uh, by the end of this uh, year, we may have like 200k followers, which I think will be wow, pretty cool. That's fucking savage. And I'll, I'll put all those uh, all the social media handles in the show notes. So the, the final big question I like to ask everyone, okay? So Nick, me and you and and your 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 wife, right? Three of us. We're going to dinner. You're over here in Dublin. We're gonna have the crack. But we're going to dinner, and I say, Nick, you can invite five people now. So me, you, and your wife, we're already there, <laughs> and we can invite five more people and. I'm a magician for the night, okay? So the person, the people can be dead or alive. I'm going to pull out some Jesus shit and resurrect people. So they can be dead or alive. Who are the five people you're going to bring to dinner and why? Man, um, quite a few of them might be like sports people. Uh, so I do like Michael Jordan. He was somebody that I always followed growing up. Cool. Um, Kobe Bryant. Um, I would do, so I'm a big college football fan. I'd probably do Jim Harbaugh as well. He's a coach of the uh, University of Michigan. Michigan, I know, yeah, I know Jim Harbaugh because Fra- Fergus Connolly is the head sports science there and uh, he's good friends with Jim. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so I do those three. Um, man, after that, uh, you know, another one I do just because it would be in, in Ireland and I'd like to. He has that one famous quote about uh, genetics having nothing to do with it. I'd, I'd invite Conor McGregor. Do you no. remember that? Do you remember that quote? His his like famous quote about you know like there's nothing here. There's like no genetics or whatever. I just want to be like, dude. No, 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 no. That's not the case at all. Like you actually have really good genetics. Um. So yeah, maybe him. And then a fifth one. Um. Man, I don't know. I'll just. Since I've already mentioned his name like 50 times, I'll you know I'll say Dr. Mike because I'm sure it'd be interesting to hear him, you know, talk shit to all those guys. Yeah, it'd be so funny. So that'd be <laughs> gas. No dead people, so I don't need to use my magical powers. Yeah, save your magic for you know actual magic tricks at the party. Yeah, yeah, or smelling salts or anything like that. That's gas. We won't get into anything illegal then. 
Uh, well, it depends on how drunk we get after dinner. Now, actually, would you believe I don't drink? I'm a unicorn, an Irishman that doesn't drink. Woo, a bit freaky. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So I used to work with uh, Mike Boyle, uh, and Mike Boyle used to call me the unicorn. He's like, Irishman that doesn't drink. It's just not right. It's just not right. Yeah, yeah, right, so, right. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, man, I just want to say thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, we Absolutely. probably went a, went a little over an hour. Oh, so, no, okay. no problem. Because what, what happens is I can put these out with two parts, so it just gives more content. And that's really fantastic. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap up. And then just before I wrap up, I'll say goodbye to the offline. So, guys, check out Renaissance Periodization. I know I say it differently to the guys over there, but Nick says he's no problem with it, so I'm happy to <laughs> Uh, so I'll put all those uh, websites and social uh, social media handles on the in the uh, show notes. Definitely check it out, guys. It's absolutely fantastic. Scientific Principles Strength Train is one of my favorite books. Renaissance Periodization Diet was one of my favorite books as well that I've read. And just so you know, Nick, when I used to teach in the college, they were the two books I'd recommend. That and Eric's two books were the books I said for people to start with. Because you get people saying, I was told to read Super Train and I was told to read the Precision Nutrition textbook. And I'm like... Uh, no, you're a beginner. You need much more simpler shit than this. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure, man. For so, sure. so thank you guys for putting that information. So, guys, for listening, make sure you share this, uh, subscribe, reviews, all that stuff that, that I asked for. But for now, guys, take care, uh, be well, and as I always say at the end of every show, stay strong. Mm-hmm.